everybody. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. And today we've got a special, special episode lined up for you guys. So before we begin, as usual, thank you again for the continued support, the love. We're growing every week. And it's all because of you guys, the shares, the streams, the, the reposts, man. We appreciate everything, man. So, And we're also on our one-year anniversary. So thank you for, the, for following the journey. Can't wait to show you guys other episodes we have. And we got a crazy guest lined up today, man. This is my brother right here. I'm so happy that he's able to come on. But to give you an intro, guys, this brother right here is a bad man. He's a senior leader with 20 years of experience leading multi-million dollar global advertising campaigns, designing innovative audience experiences for flagship events of over 100K, and cultivating strategic partnerships to drive new revenue streams. He has over, like I said, over 20 plus years of experience, worked with great brands like Burrow Communications, Accenture, BET, and is currently the head of asset management at the NFL, and also one half and founder of the Art of Storytelling, co-hosted with, with Ken Gibbs. I want to introduce my brother, Emmanuel Nunn. What's going on, bro? What's going on, sir? I appreciate you having me. Of course, man. I'm, I'm glad for you to come on, bro. So it feels weird, man, because usually I'm going to be real with you, E. I usually interview guests for the first time. This is our first time meeting. So when you're actually my bro, it feels like there's my guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, and this for me, it feels weird because I'm usually one, the one on the other end with the art of storytelling, like just having the other person be the light is on them. Like it's like in terms. So it's this is this is interesting for me, too. Love it, brother. Love it, brother. I would. Man, let's start there. Let's start at the at the start of or, at the art of storytelling, brother. Where mm -hmm. did the idea come from? And, and, you know, where where did that cultivate and how the whole the whole idea and you putting it together come about? Um, it really started with the Genesis was, I mean, as you know, it's currently at Soho House and that's where it was birthed at as well. And it started from, I went to an event, uh, at Soho House, uh, as a, at that point in time, like I had only been a member for like maybe a couple of months. Um, and the panel didn't show up. Um, it somehow they got their wires crossed between the people that were supposed to be there for the event and Soho House themselves. And for those of us that showed up, it was just like, well, we're all in creative industry, so let's just sit around and have a conversation. And from there, the head of programming for New York was in the room and was sitting with us and was essentially like this was just a dope organic conversation. If any of you have any thoughts or stuff you want to do programming wise at the house, like to let her know. And I immediately wow. was like, yeah, let's do lunch. Um because there were some things I had wanted to see. And like anytime something is in my head, like I'm, my mind goes to just trying to figure out a way to actually create it. Yeah. And the, the art of storytelling was it in terms, there was a time when everybody seemed to be uh, creative, like just like everybody. And I don't want to take it yeah. anything away from anyone because I do feel like everybody has a creative note in them. But the, the moniker of a creative is something different for those who actually do it as a passion point for like full time or something that they're putting their blood, sweat and tears into. There's just a difference in category. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to like kind of highlight and put a spotlight on those people. But in, in doing so from all walks of life, like particularly from the creative industry, but not just what usually focuses on those who are in front of a camera or who are in front of the limelight, like it those in between and those fully behind the scenes too, to really just draw out um, various things that those who are in attendance as Soho members from that creative community could take something away with. And when it originally started, our first guest was D-Nice, who's now known for Club Quarantine. Yeah. This was years, this was five years ago as of this past January. So this was years before the pandemic, but he was 
in the inner circles known for his photography. So it was also yeah. from a take to where it would just feel different. Like it wouldn't be the obvious, like hitting you over your head yes. of what people would think to kind of, they see you as a guest. It was like, no, we're going to focus on the photography part. We'll start with your journey, but we want to get to the photography. So uh, he actually did um, high quality prints and framed and like, it was like a mini exhibition of certain pieces. And then yeah. him talking about the origin story of those pieces. And that was where it originally started in terms of making it an interactive moment um, for after whatever the conversation would be with guests. So like from Raheem Devon to the com from the conversation to the performance afterwards to uh, Michelle Santana, who was a is a local in New York um, tattoo artist based from originally from Columbia. And then she did tattoos for those in the house uh, afterwards. So it would range from so many things to where now we're fast forward. And it's kind of taken a different life of its own since the pandemic, um, because and we didn't notice this until probably the most recent ones where those under a certain age group, especially professionally, where they just may have entered their profession within the past couple of years. Yeah. They've never had like true like networking events and like things to get face to face and where to meet not only peers, but those who have already done their thing and getting tutelage and all that stuff. So when we have conversations with people now, it kind of kicks off into this automatic like hybrid not even a true networking session because it's not stuffy because we've already broken yep. by just having a very organic conversation and that's also the point of the series is that there's no cue cards there's no set list of questions like it's meant to be truly focusing also not only in the art of storytelling and telling their story but the art of just conversation like what are the yeah. insights that can be gleaned from actually speaking and just being able to pivot based on the conversation in the room and just everybody feeling like a fly on the wall when it comes to that. So it's it's taken a new life of its own to where um, from CEOs of ad agencies to the co-founder of Rolling Loud. Um, not too yep. long, That was fire. It's just gone different directions and it's it's meant to where everybody across the creative spectrum um, can be have insights gleaned and just actually take something away from it. That I'll be honest with you, bro. Like I, as a as somebody who views in and supports the show, bro, that's what I love about the show. For anybody listening, if you are in the New York area, make sure you guys tune in for the art of storytelling. You can catch it at the Soul House or Lolo House. So I got put on and met E through the same event, right? So mm -hmm. I'm good friends with, with Ken, and Ken is also the co-host of the art of storytelling. And they told me they was doing this event, and when I first came in there, just the just the the intimate vibe. It's a different energy. You know what I mean? So if anybody listening, it's not like any other networking event. I wouldn't even call it networking. Like mm -hmm. it's like it's like we're just literally you go in a room, I'll turn to the right, I might see freeway or sway, or you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, or somebody like that. And everybody's just kicking it, everybody's sharing information. There's no you can't approach somebody, and then mm -hmm. the value of the conversation that you guys have, like you said, doesn't feel like an interview. Doesn't mm -hmm. feel like an interview at all. So I it's, it's not it's, it's literally meant not to be. An interview because I feel like interviews are usually one way and very stodgy and especially from yes. and originally the benefit of being a Soho house one where there's no recording like so it's like everybody can feel comfortable of just where the conversation is and where it's going to go um, but then not only that just the aspect of um, that the cachet that originally that Soho house brought where we have guests actually eager to actually be involved with it yeah. but from there just because of the nature of the conversation where it, the whole point was that the person that we're speaking to, they enjoy it as well. Like it's not like a pressure yeah. socket where they're getting the exact same questions all day from all different parts and different media outlets and stuff. Like it's it's truly like, no, we're just gonna chill and we're gonna have like 
I feel like people don't have conversations anymore. Like it's meant to yeah. be that face to face, the true enjoyment that you get out of just being a human being and having that intimate moment of a conversation. Like there's something to that beyond just the words. There's an energy. And I think the energy is what carries over to after to where like it's not like, oh, the stodginess and like the fear and like the sweaty palms of a networking room and event like where they were introvert or extrovert or somewhere in between you're going to feel like family in a room after what we've set up with that conversation. Um, just because that's just, that's the, that's the energy we're trying to build when we're in there. Absolutely. And the fact, like you said, the fact that you don't record and can't record the level of authenticity that you get from the guests is bar mm-hmm. none, right? Like, so that's, that's something that I truly enjoy about the show, bro. And I want to ask you something about this. I told to a brother, I don't know if you're familiar with him. His name is David Shans. He actually has a show called sleep is for suckers. I don't know. Uh, the social proof podcast, okay. big dude in Atlanta. They interviewed Wallow, Gilly, a lot of big dudes. And I met him at a pod fest. And he has a similar show like you, your guys, like, like um concept, right? Mm-hmm. So and we were arguing about online versus in-person shows, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanna I wanna hear from your perspective, like how difficult is it to actually schedule it out, you know, film it. I mean, not film it, schedule it out, um, you know, plan properly, make sure you're aligned with your calendar and the guest calendar and all those other things. Like for me personally, I felt it was easier digital and I feel like you can scale, but I would love to hear your perspective because me and him. We both saw value in both. He's telling me to go in person. He's like, man, get E get E in person, man. I'm like, man, why don't you get Wallow online so you can scale this thing? So you know what I'm saying? So we was arguing, brother. So I would love to hear your perspective and your experience thus far. I mean, I'll have to preface that I am honestly biased. Um, just because I'm especially after quarantine and everything, I'm tired of screens. So <laughs> that's just one aspect that's just gonna have me biased in general. Um, but then on top of that, I just don't think you can get the same type of energy. You when you can't really get any from just without being actually there with in the same room as the person. Like I think you get you get a certain level of intimacy when you actually are exchanging energy with a person. Like you can actually feel their vibe. Like you can tell, like, oh wait, that's a sour point. And being really like as you get used to it and just knowing how to professionally like, is that a sour point just for the sour point sake? And it's like, all right, that don't go there. Or is that a sour point in terms of like, like, no, you need to get that out. Like, what's the story behind it? Or even if it's like a matter of like, yeah, no, I don't want to go there. That's not the energy I'm trying to really go. All right, cool. I'm going to respect that. But okay, let's just say then if somebody in the audience is dealing with something similar, I don't want you to have to go into the, the energy space, but just. Like tell tell us about the just what you would suggest for if they were and then drawing out this hypothetical thing that connects to that sound yeah. point so that everybody can have a moment of just that human connection. And I don't think you can really get that. Um, it's a combination of in person and it's also with having others there uh, yeah. and taking from their energy, too. So I'm biased in that sense. And then when you also talk about just from a standpoint of recording and all those things, we've gone back and forth on that quite a few times. Um, but it there's just something to, if, you, if you're there, you're there. If you know, you know, if you were in the room, you were in the room and it cre- it helps again, aid with yeah. just that elevation of like, man, I was in a space and I'm a privy to this conversation and like got so much out of it. Like it, it, it takes away from it, in my opinion, if the full thing is then on digital, because then it, you yeah. give yourself out. You give yourself an excuse like, "Oh, I'll just check it later," which is great from like the fact that we even have that option from a technological standpoint. But um, again, just that impetus to really be in the room. 
It's just something yeah. like maybe snippets or things like that can to, to go out, but just want to always keep some level of like, again, when we hear we anybody in this room right now is family to feel safe amongst family and to be able to grow. Now I feel I, I, I could, I could definitely see your point on as far as it being online, it may dilute, you know what I'm saying? Like that energy. Mm-hmm. I, I totally get that brother. But like, but from a distribution, that how I think about it, at least from my perspective, bro, like I know I'm probably not going to be able to get these people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like to get them in a per- in a place and get in the space. And that's also a tribute to what you guys do. Like it's it's hard to get people actually to come out their house. It's hard to get people to come out anyway. It's hard to be a people True. online. True. So for you to get people to come out, I come away from the Bronx and I, I think I made me it's like one show, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so I come out, I made I get on the west side highway, I pull up. And so for you to get people to do that, it just says the value of your content. And that's the that's the the metric. At least yeah, for me, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that shows, and it's a testament to, thankfully, it wasn't always that way. I mean, it had to build up to it. For sure. Yes. Um, once Ken got on board and then just building out what that chemistry looks like. And then, like, from there, growing that and getting into a groove of, again, like, just it's people, I think, now come out because they know it's not like a run-of-the-mill type yeah. of thing. To where, yes, there are those who it's going to solely just be based on oh, man, I heard this person is going to be speaking somewhere or all that. Yeah. So yeah, there's still going to always be an element of just who the guest is. But I mean, even yourself, case in point, and others who where they follow the actual platform and it's because they just know that it's not like any other thing, like any other interviewing pl- platform that they've seen or experienced that is truly cultivated deliberately in a way that everybody is going to get something completely different out of it. Yeah, that totally agree with that, brother. And then back back to the first question too, bro. So um, for anybody listening, right? So how can you tell us about your process of scheduling the guests, right? And how have you been able to maintain relationships throughout your career? Because that's a big thing. I think a lot of people ask me all the time, it's like, Jay, how the hell did you get so-and-so? And how the hell do you manage the relationship? And mm-hmm. all those things. And it's like, man, like for me personally, it's me putting myself online. So I know you throughout your career, it's a combination of online in person working together so how do you you know how do you schedule out and how have you been able to maintain those relationships i mean the biggest way has been just really either from coming across folks through work or just coming across first through folks through a referral or just bumping into folks somewhere and it's like or even just being around someone and it was just a great conversation like our briefing yeah. yo like this is what we do here like would you be interested um, and things just going on from there. And then once one person is involved, like, oh, man, you really got to talk to my man. You really got to talk to my girl. Like, And letting it build from that sense. Like when, when people experience it and feel it, it almost always leads to like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so because they, they want to bring others kind of, kind of into that. Um, and then in terms of just really just not only just the scheduling part, but like the time and just um how over time of doing it it's not easy it can be extremely like draining at times because you got to figure out schedules you got to coordinate schedules um sometimes it just doesn't work because again with dealing with a physical space are the dates available and then working with those dates um and there's been plenty of times where there's those that want to do it but it's it when they're available that we don't have the space available and then by the time it comes back around um, just never really aligns. Um, so there's a challenges to it. Um, but in terms of maintaining the relationships after that, there's majority of the times, especially now, like it actually turns into where there's a continuous um, rapport with us afterwards, long until where we're still keeping in contact to this day. And that t- 
to me at least, and again, speaking from my POV, obviously I'm in it, so uh, not necessarily uh, impartial, but mm. I th- it really is a testament to going back to the fact that it's just different, it's different energy, and the fact that it's not an interview, that they can tell that we, it's, as cheesy as it's going to sound, that we care. Like there's there's thought and there's reasoning behind the questions. And, like, and when there's one question, there's a follow-up to it, it's again, it goes back to that point of conversation. Like when you're conversing with someone and it's a two-way conversation versus a one-way, you've opened up a door to, again, I hate to keep using the same word over and over, but again, intimacy. Like I think everybody wants to relate intimacy to a romantic level, but just intimacy, intimacy for what it is on a human level, that's where one can just let down their vulnerabilities and one can actually open up and one can actually emote and actually be human and be in that moment. And in a day and time where we're lacking from opportunities for such things like that. I think that's where it's like, nah, from that moment forward, like we continue to have engagement, continuing to have a relationship to where, how can we build from there? How can we build one another? I think it's really, I hate to like networking 2.0, if you want to say like, it's not the typical networking that was used in the generations past in terms of, let me get your card, exchange cards. Like, what can you do for me? It's like, no, we just we just conversing. We just building. And if something comes from that down the line, great. But we building on this human thing right now. And I think that's what this has kind of morphed and turned into. That that's that's key, brother. That that's critical. And anybody listening to that, that's such a gem. And I'm gonna I'll tell you something that um that I heard that Paxton said when he came on the show last season and how to maintain relationships. I asked him the same thing. I'm like, man, you you got Harry Belafonte. I see you at All-Star Weekend. You got all these. How do you maintain it? He said something, one of the realest things ever. He said, just be the friend that you always wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying, bro. Like, it's the same thing like with most of my guests I have on the show. I don't even talk business with them. If it mm-hmm. happens, it happens. It's just, yo, man, Merry Christmas. Y'all have the family. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're good, man. Are you in New York? Let's grab a beer. Let's grab a coffee. Let's go get lunch. Something like that. And that. And that's how it spirals, man. So, and that's speaking of the Paxton interview, that was the one if, if episode. I ain't gonna lie to you, bro. I was nervous as hell. I was excited. I was like, yo, the champion at the nationals, dude, this is crazy. But uh, so I would love to ask you that, bro. What is one gem that sticks out to you from all the conversations that you've had? And who is the one person that you was nervous for? Maybe like, damn, I can't believe I'm interviewing so-and-so. Wow, that's a hard one. Um, You've had so many. You got, you got, you got a, you got a, you got a hit squad. I ain't gonna hold you. <laughs> you guys had some great, amazing guests. I can name like seven off top. Um, in terms of who made me nervous. Yep. And, and what is like one gem that you've heard on the show that was like, hmm, I'm, I'm gonna put that in the back pocket. I mean, I feel like every time there's a gem that comes out. So I won't even say there's that one is above another. Like even on my LinkedIn, no. I try to always pull out a gem that for those who aren't there, like being able yeah. to bring a full circle to tell a story about something that I feel like everybody in the room took away from that you have to be in a room to capture all of them, but I'll let this one out. Um, but I'll say the most recent one probably stands out just because of the recency. Uh, but when we did um, Ducky Confetti, um, who's a fashion designer, and he kept referencing parts along with his journey where he almost quit um, for various reasons in terms of his path towards designing and almost took a different direction. 
and kind of me rethinking, like thinking about that and analyzing it and like just really taking in what he was saying as it kind of, as it came to the overall aspects of the conversation, it was like, no, you're, what you're describing isn't almost like quitting each of these times. It was, you took a moment to pause and reevaluate and assess, and then so you can move forward each of those times. And I don't think we really give credence to ourselves enough, especially coming on the heels of, I feel like hopefully, I think we're finally out of it in terms of this whole grind mentality of like grind, 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 and realizing that that is self-destructive completely um, yes. because you're, you're not, you're not giving yourself those moments needed to really for clarity and for growth and for healing and all those things to actually be a full embodied human being. Um, but all that to say, like the pausing aspect just gives allowance for like, okay, wait, let me stop. Let me assess. Do I completely keep moving forward as I am going and as I want to based on what I want to do and my passions? Or is there something that isn't working that I need to assess and kind of like alter or rebuild or change or just anything? Or is there somewhere where it's like, no, I need to completely pivot down this other road because things have changed since I first started walking down this other road over here. So mm. it's we need to give credence to not being ashamed of the moments when we just need to pause and assess versus it looking at as, oh, if I don't move forward from here, then I'm quitting. Like it's quitting is like stopping, stopping where you just, you outright stop. Like a pause is not quitting. Like, but it's just, as long as you don't stop, that's when the progression can still be there. So that's, that's one of the most recent ones. Um, honestly, nervous wise, I would say all of them. I'm nervous before, Every single <laughs> naturally, uh, my Myers Briggs is actually half and half. I'm, but I still skew more introvert. Like yeah. I'm really like, it takes energy for me to like be in space with people and all of that. Like I can, I can do it, but once I do it, I'm drained, and I'm gonna need to like completely like re-energize afterwards. But even with that said, that's just not my. My natural tendency is really to like yeah. just really sit and observe. Like I enjoy being a fly on the wall that takes information in. Yeah. So you have to like be on that stage and actually like just really ensure that I'm coming across correctly and that I'm on point and all that stuff. I'm I'm nervous and my hands are probably sweaty for each <laughs> interview, no matter who it is. I, I'm the I'm the same way. I'm nervous for everyone. I, I got my little dance I gotta do. I gotta say my mm -hmm. thing. Say my. Oh, you went on mute. You on mute. I said, I said you dropped the ball with Ducky, and that's mm -hmm. the one damn episode I missed. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, though, I, I mean, I don't, maybe it's just more. Well, hold on. I think I, I can't hear you now. Okay. Are you muted? I don't think so. I can't. I can't hear you now. Let me just make sure. Can you hear me now? You hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. Yeah, I don't know what happened. So once it fell, I guess it just took took me back to the default. <laughs> All good. But yeah, yeah. no. Um, I always tell folks, and it probably is more of me trying to. And when I originally felt it, turning it into a a, a strength or a superpower rather than a weakness. But especially with young people and folks just starting in their careers, when it comes to the nervous part, I really say don't expect it to go away. 
like it's really about how are you going to harness that energy like when you feel those butterflies in your stomach and you feel that like oh it's it's, instead of letting it like overtake you and it's just like oh man what do i do in the freezing point like let feel the energy of it like literally like feed off of it and let that like drive out towards the energy you're about to put out and whatever you're doing from that moment Absolutely. And then if you I don't know if you if you ball, but I was like that too. So anybody balls, like once you once you're in the game, you're in the game. It's mm-hmm. like that tip off. What's the tip off? I'm nervous, you're shaking. As soon as I get that basketball, man, you ready to you ready to rock and roll, man. But I could never I would never know that you were nervous through that, man. And yep. you also mentioned a, a good for as far as the ducky line, right? Where you've been having having to pause, right? And really assess the situation. What is one time that you can remember in your career where you've had to do that? Or what is the toughest challenge you've had to overcome in your career? And how did you get over it? I don't know. There's been so many. <laughs> that tell me about it, bro. Like just, but even that though, just as a as a black professional and the way your career has ascended, bro. Like I'm pretty sure there's moments. Like for me, one moment that stands out for me is when I had to cut my hair to get a raise. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I was early in my career. They sat me down, like, "Hey, brother, you know uh, the board doesn't know you." And I'm saying that I'm doing two hundred fifty thousand dollars a quarter. And basically told me to cut my hair. Mm-hmm. I had two choices. I could have sat there and like, "F you," da da da. Would have been out the industry. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I went straight home, got me a tape up, been on the same tape up since, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But got a $10,000 raise. And that mm-hmm. was one of those moments. And it probably, if that didn't happen, <clears throat> excuse me, I probably wouldn't be here interviewing. I wouldn't have, you know, had the career that I have. So, like, what is one of those moments, bro, where... I mean, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I had a similar situation, but I did the opposite. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I started growing locks in business school. And... Mm-hmm. Actually, probably just shortly before business school, shortly just before, just after starting business school. And I was heavily recruited by some consulting firms um, towards the tail end of just before graduation. And it was I had already worked at Accenture. Um, I was like, that really wasn't a path. I was not trying to go back into a consulting firm or that space. But they were pursuing me just based on my background being in a database. And so it was just like, I never even did any type of outreach on my part. So I was just after like the fifth or sixth time of them asking to just at least grant them time to like sit down just after looking at my background and stuff. I was like, fine. All right. I'll I'll go through the process Um, and started going through the process. And out of nowhere, they just got cold on me. (laughs) And I honestly got one of them to finally admit off the record why all of a sudden they got cold and they were like yeah it's honestly because of your hair and it was because of all the clients i would be facing were going to be c-suite executives and so they felt like my hair wasn't a match for it and Mm. so i was like okay that's cool um but it was more a matter of i could have gone the route of all right i'll cut my hair with that change things all of that but some just told me in that situation not to. I mean, I had started getting more ink at that point as yeah. well. Um, and it was just a part that was just like, I'm I'm going to roll the dice and just do me um, and whatever that means for things moving forward. And it turned into, I'm certain that that definitely was a job lost um, from that. And I'm sure there were probably more that they just didn't give me that heads up unofficially off the record as yeah. to why things froze. Um, and I'm honestly, I can say with certainty that it set my career back to a certain degree for a certain period 
of time mm. in terms of where I could be had I not made those sort of decisions and just like done what I would have needed to do to make it work. So, but I knew mm. for me that that was a sacrifice I was willing to deal with. Like even when I, even when I was back at BET and we would have like uh, student groups and folks come out and I could see them, someone with locks and I could see they had the question, but I could see they didn't, they wanted to ask, but they yeah. just time. Actually, no, that's usually with tattoos. Cause I think by that point I had cut my hair because my tattoos are extremely visible now at this point. But mm -hmm. between the tattoos and the hair, I always just say, this is your decision. Um, and we are moving into a place where I won't say it doesn't matter yet, but it's moving in a direction where it won't matter as much. Yeah. Um, but again, we're not fully there yet. So the question becomes, what does this mean to you and who are you? But even beyond that, are you willing to accept any consequences that may come from either decision that you make? Um, and That's for me, right. I'm willing to accept, I'm not going to get some of these opportunities. And that may not be the right move for some folks. Yeah. Um, whereas for others, it might be, all right, well, I'm going to make the sacrifice and do the cut or cover my tattoos or whatever it may be or whatever to actually make it. And it was like, there may be regret involved in that to where am I sacrificing who I am? Or it could be just like, yeah, I just did this just because I was young and did it and it don't have no meaning. And if that's the case, and it's like, all right, that really ain't a big decision. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to move how I need to move for what I want. But it's just understanding where you are, the situation. Yeah. Like if you're early in your career, if you're late in your career, can you afford to to, to miss mm -hmm. out on the opportunities? I know for me, bro, like I was early in the career. It was either mm -hmm. that or go back to Starbucks. I was like, hell no, bro. <laughs> and I'm doing 250 a quarter. Hell no. <laughs> you shouldn't be. I ain't doing that. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's a it's a catch-22, and it's crazy how the industry has shifted, right? So that we both had to deal with that situation, and now we're moving to a place where authenticity. Where it's not going to matter about what you look like, what your hairstyle looks like, depending if you're going to see a client facing or something like that. Absolutely. But like you're going in mm -hmm. the office, it's not going to be like that. What's going to be valuable is what value you provide to the organization, your expertise, and what can mm -hmm. you bring to the team? That's what it's really I about. Mean, even with client facing, though. And again, I, this is not across the board because I'm certain yeah. there's going to be examples where folks feel like, no, they will not be having that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But in my experience, especially from the tattoo side, and again, I'll caveat that I thankfully like have been around great tattoo artists and so have like great quality work and like know who to go to. Like you, it becomes an art form of even just knowing who specializing in what when you yeah. fully get deep into tattoo culture. Um, but with that said, like with clients and walking into a room, it's usually a conversation start. Like, and it also differentiates you. Like I've had more cases of you just stand out differently in a good way to where it's not like the cookie cutter. Especially, I mean, I'm also, I'm in a group. so yeah. there's that element as well to where it works in my advantage to where I do stand out from a crowd, but not only that, but that it can be, it can, you can tell that it's genuine. Like it's genuinely just my personality and who I am in terms of visually and all those things. So it adds to, there's a story there. So it helps in that sense. Now, again, that's, I won't say that's across the board because I'm certain there are some, especially depending on generation of where your client lies and stuff, where they might say, do not come in my office. So I, I know there's extremes of each, what either side that it can go to, but I don't think it's, it, I think it can be an, a benefit in some cases too, as well. Cause it, it speaks Absolutely. to, it should be a sense of where 
you aren't doing anything, hopefully, just to be a part of a pack or just to like be trendy, like from your hair to tattoos to how you dress. Like it should all be a reflection of just who you are. And exactly. you learn how to cultivate that correctly and well and spin it to that aligns with the work experience on your resume. It aligns with your hobbies. It aligns with the things that you enjoy doing in your spirit. You're, everything about you that comes out from you should be a reflection of this is who this person is whenever they walk into our space, whenever I see them walking down the street. Like you are, so it's, it's all a part of your story. So whoever you are in that light, no matter what it is, should be always shining in that light. That That's real, bro. That's so real. And, and I agree with you 100%. And somebody told me one of the realest things. One of my old bosses told me this, bro. And this is what made me just become myself, bro, in all spaces and all places. He said, if somebody isn't going to do business with you like this, man, chances are they aren't going to do business with you anyhow. Mm -hmm. So why are you worrying about that, Jared? You're asking me about this and we're about to go close a deal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You didn't ask me about the product, the problem, <laughs> none mm -hmm. of that shit. You asked me about that. So why are you putting so much emphasis on it? And when he told me that, bro, like I, I just stopped. And mm -hmm. if anybody listening, like I was the same way. And, and I had Walt on the show. And he said the same thing. He's like, man, you see when I had the Oxfords and the Cognacs. She said, so I went to the Jordans and the Travis Scott's. Shit took off. And that's what happened, man. Like mm -hmm. I even go to a conference, like a social media week. I remember one time um, I was working at the brand. You know, they're going to work the booth. Whatever, whatever. I'm sitting there looking at the Cognacs and I'm looking at the Jordans. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do I go there in the cognacs? Because obviously it's my job. They might, they might balk on me. I don't know. You know, it's my first mm -hmm. time going there. And then on, on the flip side, it's like, yeah, I got a personal brand. I got 18,000 followers. What if I see people from LinkedIn or whatever? They see me and want to engage with me. That could be a sale or something. Went with the Jordans. Went in there, bro. I'm sitting nervous as hell. Everybody, hey, good morning, Jack. What's up, man? You want coffee? Nobody blinked the eye. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. relief. But what happened was everybody coming to the booth. They're looking at the kicks. They're like, mm -hmm. yo, those are the Jordan 11s with the boom, 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 with the suede sole or whatever they're talking about. By day number two, it was sneakers wars, bro. Mm -hmm. It was people coming in with all types of $10,000 sneakers in the in the festival. I mean, in the event, bro, all coming through. Yo, did you see these? Did you see these? And everybody said, I had more conversations about that than the actual product. And that led to more conversations about sales. Yep. Yep. So that's and like so you nailed it. So I, I would encourage, especially our young professionals out there, right? Like I thought I had to be a specific way. You're going into an industry right now where you can be what you you can be who you are. It's just what are you going to bring to the table? If you got your shit mm -hmm. buttoned up and you know your stuff, walk in it proudly, and I guarantee you, people are going to respect it. And that's I where mean, we are. And it's a yardstick for your own. Yeah, I mean, that's the person you're referencing, as they alluded to. Like you're. You're testing the waters for is this even a space for me if this is an issue? Because great, if it great, truly great. is a reflection of you and your personality and who you are, and you have to change something that drastic associated with it, it likely won't be the, the, the only thing that comes about related to that once you're in there. And now you're starting to talk about friction from just a cultural fit standpoint to where that one red flag may have been the flag to just say like actually no it ain't about like them not wanting that from you it's more about this is a flag for you to be able to see like this actually isn't the place for me because i'm not going to fit being able to be me here so it's just a lot of it's a lot of self-evaluation self-reflection because it also been to the early point it also goes into you getting to know yourself better 
as well, because it may be a case to, again, where that isn't something that's really as important to you to where it's just maybe just something for that stage of your life to where, all right, that can go. Um, but it's understanding yourself enough to be able to have that sense of um, kind of inner reflection and being able to read how you fit within certain surroundings and things just for the better of your own future self. That's real, bro. And that's real. And it's a perfect segue too, man. Cause you talked about a lot of self self-reflection and knowing who you are, bro. So let's talk about who you are. If somebody comes in and I'm gonna ask you a weird question. Like if somebody asks you, who is Emmanuel Nunn? If you had to put a paragraph of who you are as a person, what would you put? And that's a tough one. I've never asked some shit like that. It just came up just now. So I'm like, <laughs> God damn, that's a good one. Like, Cause what the hell would I say? You know what I'm saying? But I'm just curious, bro. Maybe we could we could we could we could have fun with this. Um, who am I? Um, today, I would say the biggest things that come out for me for who I am is really the, a variation of the alchemist. Like, I feel like I'm on my journey and in this phase or this, this leg of my journey, I'm moving towards anywhere and everywhere that I can experience and express love and being able to have that in a space professionally, personally, familiarly, like in a familiar manner, as well as with friends to where everything, I'm I'm trying to get more to a place from the heart because from growing up all the way through even more recently, it's always been cerebral. Like everything has just always been like, logically like does this make sense how does this build there and i've built it as a strength but when it gets too lopsided it eventually can tilt into just being a weakness of not being able to be connected enough so everything for me right now is so emmanuel is a person that is continuously striving to be connected um just for the betterment of myself and the betterment of those around me and really being able to, I feel like I've evolved into a place of really being able to decipher and really break down blocks and really be able to experience and strategy and experience from just life experience of just going through a lot of shit over the years um, and have having just lived at this point, being able to really piece things together for not just my story, but honestly being able to help others see how the things that are lining up one dot to the next dot to the next dot is connecting to an overarching story arc in their own life. And whether that be people around me, whether that be for the businesses that I'm involved with, what is the story arc? Because I feel like the story arc is what then allows people to have their imagination tap into their heart. And then that's what allows business to grow that's what allows your personal relationships yeah. to grow because now you've gone beyond the headspace to a feeling of being able to have an emotion connected to it. And that's what drives everything to me. So that's what, that's who I am right now and where I'm trying to even build and expand even further. That so is, that's, that's a very, like, I'm like probably long winded. Nah, and, bro. That's, that's, that's real. That's, that's real, bro. Cause I'm, as you're saying, I'm like, damn, that's a, it's a good answer, bro. That's real. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, what What would I say? And as you're saying, I'm thinking about who, if somebody was to ask, who am I, man? There's so many different things. And that's kind of why we came up with the more than the title name. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, who are you as the person? You see, I'm a salesperson, I'm mad, and all that other stuff. And really what the whole point of me creating, creating content on LinkedIn was, let me break the sales barrier down. Because if I get you on the phone call, I know my shit, but this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to give back for our people. I want really, to be honest with you, I want to be able to talk to the 21-year-old version of me. Mm-hmm. And that that's the real that's the real thing for me. And it's that evolution and things that I've been through in my journey, bro. Whether I had to cut my hair, whether it's being fired, whether it was being down to my last dollar in, in, in a casino, bro, putting 200 on red and losing and then getting a call from a recruiter 10 minutes later. Like you got a job on a Saturday. I'm talking about crying in seasons. Shit like like I've been through some mm-hmm. real stuff, bro. And to who I am now and seeing my growth to now, I'm talking with brothers like yourself, Paxton, Ken. I got people like Solomon in my corner. Like, it, it's, it's just real, man. It's just, and I never had a plan for it. It was just all organic. Because it hits a different lane when you hit that moment of maturity, when you realize, as you referenced, uh, what would you say to the 21-year-old you? Mm-hmm. When you realize there are a lot of 21-year-old youths out there right now yes. and a lot of 15-year-old youths and a lot of 20-year-old youths and 25-year-old youths. Like there's, yeah. And that's when things just really shift in terms of your self-awareness goes to a whole different place. Like even now, like I'm still in them. I sometimes have to slow myself down just because of I'm always thinking about okay, but what do I want to do next? And, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And then just those moments when those around you, who are those 20 year olds, 21 year olds, 25 year olds, 30 year olds that are around you. And just like, you can see it in their eyes of like, I mean, but how do I get there? Like, how do I do that? And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like there's so much more power I can do with this in terms of don't don't think about what you can do here where I'm at right now. Like I can see in you these things that aren't in me and any pitfalls that I may have done. So let like what like what questions do you have or like like what what do you want to do to where you can get to where quote unquote I'm at five years earlier than what I did. Like how can you be better? Yeah. That's that's when you start to just see things in a whole different light. That that's so real, bro. And, and speaking of that. When you were the 21-year-old you, who was your biggest influence and who's helped you throughout your career? 21. We're about 21. So since probably at that moment in time, some of my older fraternity brothers, because my mind was starting to just be opened up in different ways. But overall, there's a few. There's my father in different ways, one of my uncles in different ways. Because they were so completely different, but I, I always kind of liken it to a, a feeling of like when I was really young, specifically before my uncle passed, that I had two fathers because they were very different. And I picked yeah. things from both of them. And then my mother and then I had a sponsor in high school. I was in this organization called Link Unlimited in Chicago. Um, so like being able to like see things from a different walk of life from that standpoint going to Bulls games and seeing Jordan play and going to actually nice restaurants had never experienced that before in my life before that point. So there was just so many different teachers. Everybody played a part in their own way. Like I still remember specific quotes from teachers in third grade and fourth grade when they were talking to me and things to like, okay, don't, don't forget this. And like, to this day, I still remember that. Like it's, the influence that different people have in our lives, even when they're only there for a season, is so underappreciated and underrepresented 
of what it means yeah. for the overarching scale of who we become as adults. So it's, so it's a lot of people. Like it truly is as cliche as it's going to sound. There was a, a complete village. I mean, from my grandma, just yeah. like every just so many different people. Takes a village, brother. And, and you and you mentioned it too, man. Because I'm I, I'm one of the very few in my neighborhood, bro. Out of all my friends that had the influence of my mom and pops. You know mm. what I'm saying? So my mom and pops was the neighborhood mom and pops. You know what I'm saying? And I know mm. you know how that goes, bro. You go out to your pops. You see, like, what the hell? You ain't saying what up to me, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, like, that's how my neighborhood is, man. So I would love to hear from you. Like, like what's, you know, the impact of that, right? Were there other friends around? Were you the only one like myself who had the influence of both mom and pops? And how did it impact you? Um... Well, I had them around at different times. Um, okay, that's like right. It was like, because my parents got divorced and then got back together. So there was a period of time where, like, my uncle was more there more than my father. And then but the majority of the time where they both were there. So it was one of those quintessential, just like, sad to say, like, Southside Chicago stories in a way. Um, mm. But there were just serendipitous things that came into play that probably, I won't even say probably, that definitely had an extremely influential um, part of just who I turned out to be. I mean, mm -hmm. one thing that stands out, it's, it's ironic because I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly. I wrote about it in a poem on my IG, but unless you really were paying attention, you probably, you definitely did not know I was talking about me. And you may not have mm -hmm. even picked up on a full story, but mm -hmm. there was a moment when I was probably five or six where my father did go to jail. Like he never went to prison, but he went to jail. Mm. Um, because one of my cousins, like one of his distance cousins was like, got high on drugs, attempted to try to try to stab him, like went into a bar and tried to stab him. And mm. my father stabbed him first. And so during the period when he was in jail for it, I just remember my, my, I believe my, my mother and my sister to, well, I went to visit. And then I think my mother went up and my sister stayed down outside with me because my father had relayed the message. Do not let him up here to see him. Yeah. I had no idea what that meant. I'm just like, why aren't you wanting to see? I just I have a memory yeah. of looking through the fence and looking up and just like knowing he's in that building, but I can't see him. But then and especially going into advertising and marketing when I got older, just the imprint of that. Mm. And just what does it mean when so many black boys see older black men? And especially if you start talking about influential black men in their lives in a jumpsuit on the other side of a table. And somehow, I don't know if it was deliberate. I actually need to ask him. Um, but to have the wherewithal of, I don't want him to see me like this. And so I didn't see him until, I don't remember how much time, it wasn't a long period of time until he went to trial for it. Um, but he would not let me see him in that light. And I just think sometimes, would there have been a difference had I seen him in that image um, and not even to go into where things went differently. He actually got convicted for yeah. murder and was wow. brought out all those years, but he didn't, I didn't find out how close it came to that until like maybe a few years ago when he was talking about the story to one of my older, one another one of his older cousins and was saying the only reason he didn't is because a witness came forward, the bartender from the bar that heard wow. his name leave me alone, get away from me. I don't want to hurt you. So that could, that automatically meant that it could not have been attempted murder because he was, attempt, he was saying like, he did not want any, basically he didn't want any problems. So it was yeah. 
Self-defense, easy. Had that testimony not been there, it would have been a whole different story. So just those moments, wow. to think of that moment, and then knowing I definitely got rebellious during a period where, uh, like, my parents were divorced and my father was in Mississippi and I was still yeah. with my mom in Chicago. So just not, like, being that young and father not being there. So, like, the rebelliousness. So I just can only imagine had he not been there for that reason and for a much prolonged period of time, mm-hmm. where would my where would my path have gone? Because I used to always ask myself growing up, what's the difference? Like, yeah. when, like my path versus so many that I grew up with or were around my block and just so many different, but like that we were in the same space. So why would, why the different paths? I used to ask myself that so- I still so ask myself that. Mm-hmm. To this day, bro. I stay and, and that's a great first of all, there's so many powerful things you said about that. One, and we'll break it down, bro. Like one, the fact that you said your pop said um he don't want you to see it because yo, as a youngin, you wouldn't be able to unsee it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to unsee it. And you know, dad is superhero, man. You know, mm-hmm. my dad is, you know what I mean? Cape on all that. He worked two jobs for 27 years from seven in the morning to eleven at night, bro. To put mm-hmm. it to a guy like he's a superhero. And one, and then, you know, what I mean, even like when you said that, I thought about my aunt. Like my aunt passed away from AIDS, and her aunt died. Love her to this day. You know what I'm saying? But I saw the transformation of her body. Beautiful. My aunt mm-hmm. was beautiful, and I saw what it did. I can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, mm-hmm. so I, I felt that, bro. And then, like for me in my situation, when I had, like, even though I had both parents, and my pops was doing this thing, I had my stretch too, where I was in the streets, and I was doing this in the third. Because at the end of the day. Pops, it was like the Bronx Tale, you know what I'm saying? It's right. like, yo, you, you got you got Sonny over there, you know what I'm saying? Pops is over there driving the bus, and over here is cool as fuck. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We getting money over here. And I, I I made the left, bro, when everybody, you know, I made the right when everybody was going left, man. And that's so powerful because of the images we see. What do we what do we hold at high regard in the black community? You know what I'm saying? And there's only a few of us that's gonna make it and have these conversations to be in the industry. So that's why it's so important for me and you to have these conversations. And for them to see you succeed and me succeed, Ken, mm-hmm. anybody else, man, like it's so powerful, bro. It's I so mean, powerful. I went into honestly, it's the initial reason why I went into advertising. That, that um, was about to, I was just about to ask you. I'm glad you went into it, bro. In college, well, for one, I took a I started out in Spanish in high school. I started I started out in engineering in college, so I didn't need to have a foreign language. So I didn't take one because I just it hurt my brain trying to learn a foreign language. So I was just like, no, I'm good. But then when I left engineering, now all of a sudden I got to take a foreign language. Um, yeah. So I say all that to say I ended up in a Lingala class with all of the <laughs> U of I athletes because like it, it was like the class you just take to really just get a good grade. Uh, but um, all that to say there was uh, the teacher in the class was um, from Nigeria um, and she was speaking on just the perception of African-Americans before coming here. And she was stating how we are taught that the black men are very, very violent and very dangerous. And the black women are extremely promiscuous. So stay away from them. And the only images they see are just what they see in movies and music. So that's the perception that sticks in their brain. And that really stuck with me in addition to just what I saw from just advertising and stuff. Um, but as I started to pursue it more as a class and things of that nature, and then when I went to Burrell 
and started eventually becoming a mentee under Tom Burrell. Um, wow. wow. Just the, the power of imagery. Like to this day, I still feel like advertising and marketing is the most influential and the most powerful industry in the world because yeah. it's the one that can completely change your sentiment on anything and your perspective on anything. I mean, look how divisive politics are now just based off of two news networks um, that cater to each of those groups and the trajectory and the tra through how it's pivoted certain things politically in the in the country. So yeah, like the imagery thing is just deep and I don't think we really give full credence to just how much power it has. Yeah, that's that's real, man. And you was a mentee under Tom Burrell, man. That's crazy. I never, I never, well, I knew, I never knew. That's that's dope, yeah, bro. I mean, because legend. I, I asked, like, that was the crazy. That was the craziest part to me. I assumed that this was like not going to happen because he probably gets the request all the time and just doesn't have the time. And when I approached him and asked him, he said, actually, nobody in the history of him starting the agency from the actual agency has ever asked him to be their mentor. Um, that people outside of the agency would, but he had never had, and to me that, I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, so it just also goes to, you never know anything until you actually approach and ask in terms when it comes to stuff like that. So that, that is so real. And all the mentees I have is the same way, man. And I, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll call you one, bro. I will call Ken one for sure. I don't know if I told you the story with Ken, same thing happened. Same thing with, with Solomon as well. But I saw Ken on the stage at ad week. Everybody's looking at Lala Milan and Ken speaking. I'm like, yo, who the hell is this brother on stage? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I, what I'm thinking is, one, I'm glad a brother's there. Two, how the hell do I get on stage as well? So, and what's going mm -hmm. on in my brain is like, yo, I've got to talk to this brother. Let me try to, you know, let me get some time with him. Everybody's rushing to Lala Milan, and then Ken, Ken's going. I'm like, yo, bro, da -da -da, let me holler at you, man. He's like, yo, I gotta go to the next panel, but hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh man, fool, I, I would love to holler at you. Word and you for BT, that's so dope. Hit him up, man. Hit me. No response, bro. Six months. I hit him with a happy birthday. Hit him with a happy birthday on LinkedIn. He sends me a message. Yo, my executive assistant is going to hit you up. And, you know, I thought I was going to coordinate. You get a half an hour, one Friday every month. Mm. Bro, I must have, that Friday, when I got that email, I must have told everybody on the block. That, <laughs> keep it all the way real with you. So now imagine me. So I'm just starting a LinkedIn journey. I'm like in a weird place in my career. Things are starting to bubble. And the VP of BET is saying he'll give me 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And how powerful that was for me, like I'm sure it was powerful for you for Tom to say that's like, yo, you're going to take time to invest in me? Mm -hmm. There's something special here. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, what else can I do? How can I push it? How can I move the envelope even further? Who else can I can build a relationship? But the same thing with Solomon. I just had an interview with him. I'm like, yo, hit him up afterwards. Like, yo, I don't even know what a mentor looks like. I've never been a mentee, but like, I just want to learn from him. I just want to Bro, I want to barbecue with our kids five years from now. Like, they're keeping it real like that. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's what I want to be on. He said, man, that's it, man. And that's what we're doing today to this day, man. So, like, awesome. it's crazy, man. But that's so real, the fact that you just asked. So, and then, yo, I know we're going up on time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, bro. But I, we're getting to a good place. I love where we was going just now, <laughs> man. This is fire, man. So, like, just two questions to end off, bro. What advice would you give to the 21-year-old yourself? Or other young black professionals out there right now that aspire to be in a similar position as yourself, working for major brands, you know, and accomplishing what you have. Um, I'll answer it differently for each one. For myself, mm -hmm. I would just say, just know it's going to be okay. Keep going, mm -hmm. and then 
to more general anybody else that want more so in terms of getting into the industry, getting into marketing, advertising, uh, entertainment, sports, whichever lane. Um, really be yourself. And I know it sounds easier. It sounds too easy, but it really is that easy because that should be the easiest thing it is for you to do. It's just being yourself. Take the time to really do the reflection to know yourself and then mm. let that shine into confidence of being yourself. Because even with business school, with, at, for the a number of years during and after graduating from Booth, like I was on the admissions committee and uh, would go to events and stuff like that to like help, help them recruit and stuff. Mm. And the key thing I would tell is like, just be yourself. Like you're thinking about it from an analytical point of view of like from your essay questions and from the actual GMAT and from your experience and what's the best formula I can put together for this package. Like, yeah. yes, that matters. But if that was all you had, pretty safe to say your admittance percentage would be pretty low. <laughs> yeah. Because they really yeah. want, people really want to see your personality. They really want to see what do you add to the classroom. And I say that to say that that expands mm. into all walks of life. Like when you're in interviews, when you're in a room just with people peers whether it be people higher up or whatever like people people want to know and feel the genuine you because whether you believe it or not they can tell when you're not being yourself and that is becomes a turnoff so i would just say to anybody in that boat of just like advice if it was a 21 year old just period of starting out and what to do is to just be yourself and allow yourself grace to actually just figure out what that means especially as 21 yeah. you have so much time in front of you even though the world presents in front of you like you don't have time and have to be in this grind mentality like there's patience like there is no overnight millionaire at least not legally so Fact. Fact. take the time and give yourself the grace to where again that take the time to pause and reset that ain't the same as stopping like do the reassessment like does this feel good does this fit like Am I feeling like I'm adding value to myself, to those around me, to what I want to do? Am I enjoying this? Like, and if you're not really being able to have the the confidence to say, all right, then it's okay. Like, I can reassess. So just that pause and that reassess. Yeah, yeah. You 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 nailed that was a bar, bro. We know we're gonna have to clip that up, but you you, you can't you can't be yourself if you don't know yourself. Mm -hmm. That was that was that was real, man. And, and like you said, bro, that's that's what it's all about, man. So to be able to pause and reset and now. Just the last one, bro, because we didn't we didn't go into something. Have you done so many great, amazing work as far as your career wise? What's what's the one career event? What's the most memorable event of your career? What is one event that you've done or one campaign that you've done? I got to ask everybody that comes on. What's one that you was like, man, that you hang your hat on right now? One that was extremely difficult, but you pulled it out. The most memorable, honestly, ain't even from professionally. Um mm because it was probably one of the first ones I just ever did that I had to overcome so much to do. And that was way back in undergrad. And uh, was it for chapter? Was it for the fraternity or was it for, this one, this particular one was for the fraternity. So we got Talib Kweli to come speak and perform, but technically, that was bypassing some rules for just when an artist goes over a certain budget number, like you, they don't allow student groups to like put on the event. 
So you have to go through student government and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, so we went that route and got half of them to vote okay. Then the other half didn't. There was one person in the middle and he abstained. So then that abst him abstaining, that automatically made that a no vote. So then mm -hmm. they, we didn't get the funding through that route. So then that, that, and what that turned into a whole different thing of just in my mind, what abstaining does It's like, no, pick a side. Um, and then, but jumping forward, eventually we got the event to go through, um, had to literally go pick him up from O'Hare, drive him down to Champaign. Um, <laughs> and just all the logistics behind that. I remember we were in traffic he needed to make a stop. Actually, no, he didn't need to make a stop. The guy I got a ride from needed to make a stop. Um, <laughs> so it was it was just this whole thing. I'm literally running on stage because the event has started. People are sitting there. We're still getting to leave into town. And then the politics of, of course, they're there. They want to see him perform, not just speak. And his speech was cool. But then he was just like, all right, like, y'all paid me. I'm going to perform. And then just working the politics to where the one representative from the university got him to sit there for the actual conversation and to just coincidentally leave right before the performance was going to start. So he's not witness to it. And just like it was just so much involved of what was I, 19, 19, 20. Uh, yeah. I put this such a large scale thing together and on and just a feeling of accomplishment, just the so many butting the head against the ceiling. Um, yeah, that actually because it, 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 it provided so many different life skills and professional skills uh, and political so of what went into just so many other things I was going to do throughout my career. So that actually is the main one that stands out with the early moments. That's and I can imagine and, and look how it's evolved, bro. So that, that's that's mm -hmm. a that's a dope that's a dope story, brother. So I just want to say, man, my brother, thank you again for for pulling up on the show, man. You know this, and I'll say it on air, bro. It's nothing but love for you, brother. Like I appreciate you being in my life, bro. I appreciate you being a supporter. You've always been the same, brother. You've always showed me love, man. And I've got nothing but the same for you, brother. I'm always rooting for you, man. So, like, you know, I'm coming in. I'm not missing another show. I can't miss it. I already got my one in. So, you know, I'm there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be there, bro. But if anybody wants to check check out, e, um, you know, please connect on LinkedIn. Please listen out for the art of storytelling, man. I'm telling you, if you guys have not, if you know, you know. If you want to be in the building, you got to pull up, man. Hit up E, you get up myself, you get up Ken, anybody, man. I could plug you in with them, whatever you want to do, but make sure you bring your ass down there and pull up, man. So thank you again, bro. It's much love, man. I love seeing you succeed, man. And Appreciate everybody and everybody listening, man. Thank you again for tuning in for another great episode of More Than a Title. We'll see you guys next week. And let's peace. What you know about me?